0: We're in chapter 18 and learning about King Hizkiyahu. And we're right in the middle of his rebellion against the Assyrian Empire. When we say rebellion, we mean that he stops paying them tribute. That's the first step. And by doing so, he's showing that he refuses to be a vassal to them as his father was. Hizkiyahu is uh, striving for political independence for Judea. And that, of course, brings the wrath of the Assyrian armies on him. And they come after him. And that's the last verse we read in chapter 18, verse 13. It says, in the 14th year of King Chizkiah, Sanchariv, the king of Assyria, comes against all the fortified cities of Judea and sees them. And so before uh, the king of Assyria heads for Jerusalem, he first wants to incapacitate the southern cities and isolate Jerusalem. And we see that the major fortified city that he conquers is the city of Lachish, we see that he sets up shop in Lachish. We see in the next verses, that's where he's hanging out because it's a great military headquarters for him because he says from there, he can set his sights on Egypt. And so that's where he's, uh, that's what he conquers. And the siege on Lachish is documented in several other places besides our story here in the Book of Kings. You have the uh, those series of panels we mentioned, the archives of Assyria, which are very well preserved, and these panels or tablets they used to decorate the Assyrian king's palace at Ninveh. and you can see on these tablets. Actually, you could see them online, and you just check them out on the internet. That these tablets desc- describe blow by blow the conquest of Lachish. So, the, you know, Lachish is it's one of those uh, the conquest of Lachish. It's one of those events in the Bible which are which are totally uh, confirmed by historical data. Not that we need it or we need proof of the truth of the Bible. But it's always interesting when the historical findings jibe so perfectly with the biblical account. And that's what happens here. And all the historical data kind of enhances our understanding of what went down in Lachish. We know, for instance, that Lachish was situated on a hill, had a high wall, making the city very hard to breach. And inside the city, there was a castle with more walls. But what we know from the historical... Uh, archives, those tablets that the Assyrian engineers built a ramp to overcome the wall and they eventually defeated the Judean uh, defenders there who were totally outnumbered, you know, in manpower by the Assyrian troops. And one can actually visit Tel Lachish today. It's a mound on, it's Tel Lachish today, it's like a mound of the ancient city of Lachish. You can actually see it there about 40 kilometers south of Jerusalem. So, okay, Lachish has been conquered, a very important city. And Chizkiyahu, what's he going to do? So it says in verse 14, So Chizkiyahu, the king of Judea, sends to the king of Assyria, sends where he, who's in Lachish, and we're talking now about a diplomatic move Chizkiyahu is going to make here. And what does he say? I have sinned. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose upon me, I will bear. So what does the king of Assyria pose upon him? So it says, And the king of Assyria posed upon Chizkiyahu, king of Jehuda, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Well, a talent in Hebrew is a kikar, kikar zahav, kikar kesef, which is about 30 kilo. So we're talking about 300 times 30 kilos of silver, and 30 times 30 kilos of gold that King Chizkiyahu has got to hand over to the king of Assyria. So that's quite a task. So let's how see how he's going to do that. So it says in verse 15, Vayeten et kol Hashem. So Chizkiyahu, first of all, he gave over all the silver that was in the house of Hashem. The silver in the temple, he's got to fork it over to the king of Assyria. And the treasuries of the king's palace, he's got to hand that over as well. And apparently, that's not enough. So, what does he do in the next verse? Verse sixteen. And at that time, that he stripped the doors of the temple of the Lord. He actually strips the doors because they're made of gold of the temple in order to hand it over to the king of Assyria, and not just the doors. The thresholds that Chizkiyahu had overlaid with gold, he strips those thresholds and he he gives it over to the king of Assyria. Well, you know, if you look at Chronicles, uh, the first chapter on Chronicles dealing with Chizkiyahu is all about how Chizkiyahu revamped the Beit HaMikdash, he purified it after his father had defiled it and he built it up and he plated those doors with gold and the thresholds with gold. He renovated the place and now he's got to strip the thing down and give it over to the king of Assyria because as he said, whatever you oppose upon me, I will bear. And that's what he's got to pay. So, you know, to understand what King Chizkiah was up against, Maybe we can try to understand by, again, looking at some of those archives, those Assyrian tablets, you know, it shows that the Jewish defenders of Lachish were tortured and thrown over the wall. Horrible descriptions. And maybe Chizkiah wants to avoid all that. You know, he has responsibility. He doesn't want them to come to Jerusalem, do the same to him. And besides the Assyrian archives, we have archaeological findings in the early 1900s where graves of thousands of Jewish Men, women, women, and children were killed at Lachish by the Assyrians. So the point I'm trying to make here is that Chizkiyahu has got to be feeling the pressure. And he agrees here to pay Samchari this huge tax. And he's got to cut up the temple to do it. Now, according to the Malbim, Chizkiyahu isn't just acquiescing uh, for nothing. He's not just, okay, take my money. He's doing this to buy time. That is, he's actually preparing himself for war. Now, how does the Malbin come up with that? Well, actually, it makes a lot of sense. Because if you go to the book of Chronicles, Chronicles 2, chapter 32, we see something, uh, we add something to the mix that we just don't get in in the book of Kings. And we see here in chapter 32 that indeed, Chizkiah is making preparations for war. So let's look at chapter 32. I'm just going to read some of it. It says, when Chizkiah saw that Tzanchiv had come, And was headed for battle against Jerusalem. He conferred with his leaders and warriors and decided to stop up the waters of the springs that were outside the city. So Chizkiah taking action, he's redirecting the water supply, making sure that the Assyrians, in the case of a prolonged siege, won't enjoy the water outside the walls of Jerusalem. And I continue here in the book of of Chronicles, and uh, Chizkiah said, why should the kings of Assyria come and find ample water? And he also strengthened and rebuilt all the broken sections of the wall, raising it above the towers. And he erected another wall outside of that and fortified the Milo in the city of David. So we see here that Chizkiah is fortifying the city, fortifying the the walled city of Jerusalem to withstand the onslaught of um, Sanchriv. And, you know, it's just like Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu also gave gifts, Mincha, this there's tefila and this melchama. The three tactics you got to do. Chizkiah is doing all that here in Chronicles. Again, it's not in the book of Kings. You wouldn't know this if you didn't look at Chronicles. But we see that hiskiao is preparing, mobilizing for war against Assyria. And then it says, and he got weapons and shields and he gathered all that. And then what did he do then? Then he gives us a, a great pep talk, like a, like a coach of a football team. Okay, it says he gathered them, to himself at the plaza of the city gate. And he spoke. And listen to what he says. Listen to this pep talk. Be strong and courageous. And don't be afraid in the face of the king of Assyria. And in the face of this entire multitude that is with him. Because we have more with us than he has with him. With him is human might. But with us is Hashem, our God. To help us. To fight our wars for us. And it says, And the people were reassured by the words of Chizkiyahu, king of Judea. What a speech. If the generals in the IDF, you know, gave a speech like that, you know, we'd never lose a war. Okay. So... Now we know that Chizkiyahu isn't just buckling under to the king of Assyria, but he's taking some major steps here. Okay, so what happens now in the next verse? Verse 17. So the king of Assyria sends over three men, three representatives. One's name is Tartan. One's name is Rav Saris. And the other's name is Rav Shekei. Now, the Rav Shekei, he's going to do all the talking. He's like the major representative. He'll be the spokesman. He sends over these three guys, but not just three representatives. Bechel kaved Yerushalayim. He sends them with an army of great multitude to Jerusalem. Yerushalayim. And they went up and came and stood near Jerusalem. Where did they stand? Near the conduit of the upper pool which is on the road of the washer's field. So what's important here is that the armies of Assyria, along with these three representatives, are outside the walled city of Jerusalem. Now, we see here that Zanchiv has obviously ignored the treaty. And there was supposed to be some kind of pact between them. But maybe he didn't get enough gold from Chizkiyahu. Maybe he doesn't want any more gold. In any case, he's now coming up against the city. What is Chizkiyahu going to do? So it says now in verse 18, so these three men, they summon the king. They called out to the king. So doesn't come out to him. He sends his representatives. He sends out Eliakim ben Sher So that's an important position. His name is Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was appointed over the palace. That's a, a certain position, al we saw that position in the days of Solomon, that somebody, al it that's the first one he sends out. Who else comes out? Shevna sofer So Shevna Sofer, he's like the Secretary of State. He's actually going to be problematic later on. He's going to give some trouble to Chizkiyahu. Right now he's in the camp of Chizkiyahu, but he's the number two guy who comes out. And then who else? V'yoach ben Asaf ha-Maskir. somebody named Yoach son of Asaf, who was the Maskir, which is also a very important position, somebody very close to the king. So Chizkiyahu is sending out his big three against Sanchriv's big three. It's three against three, but remember, behind those three Assyrian representatives is a multitude of troops of Assyrians. So it's a scary situation. Now, what's going to happen now from verse 19 and on is going to be a, a speech a long speech, an interesting speech, by the Assyrian representative, Rav Shake. And I say interesting because he's going to come from different angles you don't expect. He's going to direct his words, not towards the representatives of Chizkiyahu, and not towards King Chizkiyahu either. He's going to be talking to the Jewish people with the intent to incite them against their own king, to get the people to rebel against Chizkiyahu, at least to doubt him, to cause dissension in the ranks of the Jewish people, Because his goal is to avoid a prolonged siege. He would like this thing to be over. The Jews let them surrender and agree to the deportation program of the Assyrians and go to other countries as the Assyrians do. And that would prolong, that would uh, avoid, you know, a bloodbath, a siege and all those problems. So that's his goal. Let's see how he tries to do that. How he tries to incite here. Okay, so let's open up here. Verse 19, the speech of Rav Shekeh. And Rav Shakei said to them, "Imru na el Chiskiaw, say now to Chiskiaw, Ko amar a Melech Such so, so has the great king of Assyria said. So before we see what the king of Assyria said, notice he calls Chiskiaw plain old Chiskiaw, not Melech Chiskiaw. He doesn't give, give him his title." And he calls his king Hamelcha Gadol, the great king, the king of Assyria. And he's going to do that all the time because his intention here is to diminish Chizkiyahu in the eyes of, of the people. And then he says, "What did the king of Assyria say? Ma bitachon batachta? What is this confidence that you have trusted?" So he's using the word bitachon esha and we know Chizkiyahu's great Mida, his attribute is bitachon. We saw that in verse 5. On this chapter, hu ba Hashem? He had trust in Hashem. But it's here, as Rav Shakeh is saying, well, there's bitachon, this confidence, but there's also overconfidence, and this brazenness, and this chutzpah, and he's overconfident, and he's getting the Jews in trouble with his surplus bitachon in Hashem. It's not realistic. And now he continues, verse 20. Amata you have said, but words of the lips. It's a, counsel and might are needed for war. So that's a very poetic way of saying, up to now you've been doing a lot of talking, now you're going to have to fight. That is, you said, words of the lips, now counsel and might are needed for war. So what, what do you mean you've been talking, now you're going to have to fight? Well, what's the talking? It could be he's talking about the prayer, the The words of his lips are the prayers of Chizkiyahu. He's from, he's talking about emonah bitachon, the rhetoric coming out of Jerusalem was all about believing in Hashem, bitachon Hashem, and now you're going to have to put your money where your mouth is, counsel and might are needed for war. What What Rashi says is intended here, when he says, that you have words of your lips, now you're going to need war. Rashi says that what he means is that when Chizkiyahu said, I will not pay tribute, to the king of Assyria, those words, well, that was easy to say while you were sitting in your cozy palace in Jerusalem. But now that the king of Assyria left his palace and he's coming towards you, you're going to have to uh, have counsel and gvura and might for war. Okay, now what else does he say to him? Verse 21. Now behold, you're depending upon the support of that splintered reed or that broken reed on Egypt, al-Mitzrayim. So we know that Chizkiyahu uh, made a pact with nations in the area to revolt against Assyria. We looked at that last week. And so apparently he had a pact with with, uh, with Egypt. Egypt was one of the major nations in that pact. And now Rashakeh is saying, what do you think is going to come of that pact with Egypt? There are Kinneret suits, a broken reed. And anybody who leans on that reed will puncture the palm of his hand. That is, not only is Egypt not a strong country and they're flimsy like a broken reed, but leaning on that reed will get you your palm pierced from the splinters of that reed. And then he continues about Egypt. And so it is Paro, the king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. So it's not just that Egypt isn't strong enough and you can't lean on them, but they're not trustworthy, they won't live up to any treaties anyway. Now, before we uh, analyze that a little more, let's read one more verse and then try to figure out what Rav Shaka is trying to do here. It says in verse 22, And if you say to me, we trust the Lord our God, that is, it's not that Egypt we trust. If you're saying we trust the Lord our God, Isn't Chizkiyahu the one who removed the high places and the altars of that God? So again, so you don't believe in Egypt, you believe in Hashem? Well, Chizkiyahu removed all the altars that were intended to worship Hashem. And he told you to Judah and to Jerusalem, you should pray and prostrate before those altars. So what is Rav Shakke talking about. Well, he's talking about something we know well, that the kings of Judea had let the altars remain outside Jerusalem, and Chizkiyahu, uh removed those altars. And he, because you know that according to Halakha, once the Jerusalem Temple is is built, all those altars outside the temple are are prohibited. But what Rav Shakke here is trying to spin it. Okay, so let's go back now and see what the um sages say about Rav Sha'ke from these verses. There are sages deduced from Rav Shakei words here that he's an apostate Jew. That is, he's a Jew who went over to the other side and now he's a big macher in the courtyard of Assyria. Now, how do we know? First of all, what we read in verse 21 about Egypt being a broken reed. Now, that's a that's what Isaiah the prophet calls Egypt. So, Rav Shakei is using parables... From the prophets, he knows his stuff, you know, like a good apostate Jew. He also knows that Chizkiyahu removed the bamot, the high places. So he's an insider. He's one of us. And he went to the other side. He's an insider that knows all the dirt of what's happening in Judea. And he's using it to incite against King Chizkiyahu. Because obviously, removing those altars was a controversial act by Chizkiyahu. The fact is no other king did it. So the people were still probably, maybe weren't pleased about it. And so Rafshakin knows where the Achilles heel is. He knows which buttons to press to cause dissension in the kingdom of Judea. And he knows if he can get the Jews to doubt the king, then Assyria has this thing won without a fight. And we can add what the Redak says about the verse. Not only did we move the high places, what does he say at the end? He has said, should, should Judah enter Jerusalem before this altar in Jerusalem, you shall prostrate yourself. Well, again, that's the proper thing. Chizkiah removed the high places because you're supposed to come to Jerusalem. But what's happening is that Rav Shekeh is putting a spin on it and he's claiming that Chizkiah removed the high places for his own honor, for his own glory. You know, he's on an ego trip. He wants everybody to come to his temple in Jerusalem to prostrate themselves because, you know, he's working out of self-interest. So, you see, it's always easy to incite by turning things around against the person, by putting their motives into question, planting doubts in their minds. He's not Lashem Shamayim. He's not doing it for pure motives. He's doing it for selfish motives. He wants everybody to come to Jerusalem for his own glory. So we see here the incitement going on. Again, the, the goal here is to for the people to rebel against Chizkiyahu, have them surrender, and agree to the Syrian deportation. And of course, Rav Shaket is most going to incite about the irresponsible Chizkiyahu in initiating this rebellion in the first place. And that's the overbeatachon he has, the overconfidence he has, placing all the Jews in danger. And so we'll stop here. And in our next year we'll go on with Rav Shakes agitating, insightful speech.